Hello, powerful creator. I am Tara Nicole Kirk, and this is the Soul Tour Podcast. Hey there. So it's been a while. I think today is something like my 32nd day here in Portugal uh, since our big move. So I'm back with episode, let's call this episode six of Big Move Chronicles. Um, And I want to get a little, I want to be a little provocative (laughs) with the title of this episode. So let's call it the Universal Cat Distribution System. All right, Vamishla. Let's go. So, in my experience of making big moves in my life, in my business, in my life, in my family, in my life, along the journey of creating a new reality intentionally, and make no mistake, that's what it is that I'm doing. That's what it is that we're all doing here. That's why you're here. All kinds of universal messengers and messages and green lights and yellow lights and red lights and Dijvio signs. I've learned that Dijvio in Portuguese means detour. (laughs) All sorts of universal redirects come our way or are in our way. We come across them, Um, but we don't always necessarily know how to interpret them. Um, And I think if I... I think I would say one of the most playful or joyful um, pieces of the spiritual evolution that I've experienced over the last 20 years um, has been in, in understanding, yeah, in understanding the animal messengers, the animal co-essences, the art um and the messages that come to me or are available, the messages and the meaning that are available to us through art and through animals. So I was just on the members only page, the Soul Tour members only group page the other day. And someone asked a question about some of our sort of surrealist new Soul Tour brand illustrations. You might have seen one. We call it, internally, we call it the masterwork. There is a, a photo of a, a beautiful leopard uh, with the Soul Tour logo on her forehead. Um, and she's surrounded by imagery, much of which was actually just imagery that was important to me along my own spiritual journey, along the, during the process of creating Soul Tour, which is the same thing as during the process of creating Tara, becoming my big self, right? Which means just becoming who I've was born to be shedding everything else that I'd accumulated over the years. Today's episode is brought to you by Upgrade, your business, your money, and your life. Upgrade is a three-day self-mastery and business transformation event for coaches, consultants, experts, and entrepreneurs who want to get off the struggle bus for good and expand their business into the empire of their soul. Upgrade takes place October 27th through 29th, 2023 in Berkeley, California. And Kristen, who came to Upgrade 2022, said simply, Upgrade changed the trajectory of my life and that of my family. 
I want that for you too. It's time to breathe life into your empire. So let's do it together at Upgrade in October. Get your ticket before they sell out at soultour.com slash upgrade. So someone asked the other day, like, what's this art about? (laughs) What are these animals about? And I was like, yeah, I literally like would have dreams about these animals or would have them be recurring themes. And because of where I was at in my journey, I began to like look them up and read about them, read about, you know, in the very Jungian way of um, interpreting messages, distilling meaning from anything that's around us actually, or anything that you know, is seems that it's trying to assert itself into our experience. Um, but in the Jungian way, everything is symbolic. Nothing is literal. Nothing is literal. Everything is symbolic. So I started to look up um, and read about and investigate and inquire as to what these animals that kept coming into my consciousness during my journey of creating Soul Tour and my journey of creating my new reality that I now live, um, what these animals meant to all sorts of groups, sometimes to the Mesoamericans, sometimes to ancient indigenous people of other areas, sometimes to the Egyptians, sometimes just, you know, like in Jungian, you know, lore. Um, And so the whale in particular is one of the animals that you'll see in the Soul Tour masterwork. And the whale was really important to me because it came to me and continues to come to me at times when I get really, 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 really deep in the shadow work. And the whale had a really particular message for me that I cherish and that I come back to over and over because whales dwell in the very, very depths and in the very extremes, they live at the poles and in the deep depths of the ocean. And yet and still, the whale still knows that it must come up for air. <laughs> you can't stay, even if you're a whale, you can't stay down there forever. Right? The supple leopard, which that figure actually in some ways is symbolic of me, in some ways is symbolic of you and your true self. Um, Many of you know the story about how years and years ago I read the book by Kelly Starrett called Becoming a Supple Leopard. Um, And it's actually, it's like a physiotherapy book. It's not a, it's not deep (laughs) like that. It's not deep and it's not spiritual. Um, But Kelly Starrett talks about uh, how as a child he was fascinated with, you know, watching videos and things of leopards because they can be perfectly still and go from zero to a gajillion miles an hour, they can per- be perfectly still and leap, you know, 20 feet into the air, 10 feet forward um, with no warm up. <laughs> and he was like, how is it that we as humans have to warm up, right, to be able to do anything? And they can just go for, they can constantly be in a place of being able to access their optimal function. They, they at rest, always they ain't got to get ready they just stay ready right the leopard is always 100% of the time in a state of being able to access and function the way they were designed to function and I kind of loved that 
right? As an aspiration for us, not just physically, but also like energetically and spiritually. It is what we came here to do to operate how we were designed to operate, right? So there is a radical liberation of being and being able to access the fullness of who you were designed to be at any moment in time. Right. And so that's a bit what the supple leopard signifies to me. And then there were the yellow butterflies in the masterwork, which if you've read any Gabriel Garcia Marquez, um, you know that he his work was very surrealist. He's a Colombian um, surrealist author of fiction. Um, if you've ever seen Anos, um, Hundred Years of Solitude was his like very very famous book but many he um, some of his work was even like inspirational to the imagery in the disney film encanto um but his work in his work in particular yellow butterflies always signified hope and peace and love and so even though a lot of what we do in this work of recalibrating and actualizing and aligning to be who we came here to be is the shadow work um, it's got to be punctuated constantly, right? With these messengers of hope and peace and love, because that's actually why we're here is to access all of that and to, and to dwell in all of that. So as I started to make my, those were some of the animals that were really important to me in the process of creating soul tour, in the process of creating my life while I was creating soul tour, healing my heart while I was creating soul tour. Um, as I got in the process of, as I got deeply, you know, engaged in the actual process of this move, and I don't just mean the Portugal part of this move, I mean the starting from 2020 part of the move where I was, where I got the download, hey, you need to live on a farm by the beach. (laughs) This is like a thing that needs to happen before you die. You know, you're not dying for another hundred years, but get after it homie was kind of what spirit was saying in my meditations. Um, I started to travel, as some of you know, to various places where I could, you know, explore whether this was the farm by the beach community that was for me. And as I traveled, um, as I've mentioned before, I started to add to my checklist, right? First it was farm by the beach, then it was farm by the beach by the city, and then it was farm by the beach by the city with good internet and some black people around. Right. And so I was going from town to town, um, visiting places, coming back, you know, in between to my home in Oakland, um, visiting places where I thought, you know, this could be possible here just to both see if it checked off the boxes on my checklist and to see what the vibe check was like. And so, you know, the first big chunk of that exploration for me was spent in Mexico. Um, you know, I'm born and raised in California. I love Mexico. Um, If you're at all curious about the entire movement that my move could be said to be part of, we call the movement Blacksit, um, and it's essentially Black people leaving America, uh, leaving the United States of America, um, for various, many various, every, there are as many reasons people are moving as there are people who are moving, but there's a huge chunk of us. And so there are some very established and active communities of black Americans all throughout Mexico. Um, you know, Mexico's close 
to the United States. It's an easy move to make. It's an inexpensive place to live really well. Uh, you know, we are familiar with Mexicans <laughs> and to have some, you know, some um, kinship, uh, familiarity and like fondness mutually um, with those communities from the United States. Um, the time zones are similar, right? There's a bunch of reasons. If you have older parents, it's easy to get back and forth too. So there are lots of black Americans who are in or moving into Mexico. It was one of the first places that I started to explore. And it was one of the first places on my move where I had some animal uh, sort of, you can call it spirit animal if you want to. I kind of try to think of them as like just animal messengers. Um, Yeah, it was in Mexico. uh, There's, most people know of Cabo San Lucas. Um, There's a town next to Cabo San Lucas called San Jose del Cabo. That's like equally beautiful without the party (laughs) right um and it has there is definitely that farm by the beach vibe but not so much the by the city or the good internet or the other things that I was looking for but we spent some time down there and London spent some time riding horses on the beach and in San Jose del Cabo and and uh it was pretty beautiful and one of my favorite places in the world is in San Jose del Cabo it's this farm called Flora Farms um, it's like a really bougie farm <laughs> and they will feed you beautiful food and you can dance under the stars and there's live music all the time and, you know, movies outside on the farm and a big old playground and a spa and it's just a beautiful, magical place. And I remember being at Flora Farms and just the bugs, <laughs> the bugs, you know, uh, actually in Mexico in general, there are a lot of bugs. I have flying bugs, roachy bugs, water bugs. Um, we spent some time in San Jose del Cabo with the bugs where the, the lovely, um, waiters there would, would bring by these little tiny little glass bowls filled with rosemary and they'd light it on fire as their way to create a little bit of a deterrent from some of the bugs while you'd eat, um, drinking champagne and like (laughs) deterring, you know, flying things. Um, we went from San Jose del Cabo over to Mexico city because it's just one of my favorite cities in the world. Um, and we stayed in a beautiful hotel there, which had some drivers who just would hang out and drive you around if you wanted one of whom we became really friendly with. And so I asked him if he would come with us. We were going to go to a little, you know, more of a farm by the beach town a couple hours outside of Mexico City um, for like nine days called Valle de Bravo. So I asked Yvonne if he would come out with us, and he did. Um, He drove us out there and stayed with us for, you know, a little over a week. And he's just a, a lovely gentleman it was so helpful. I got super sick. He went and got medicine. He translated for us, with all the people around. He was great. London still asks, is Yvonne going to drive me to school? When is this happening? <laughs> um, but I remember sitting by our pool at our Airbnb there and having this conversation with Yvonne about the bugs because we were staying in this incredible, incredible multi-million dollar home on this lake outside of Mexico City immaculate home two housekeepers came with the house okay and if when you came downstairs at night the number of animal small bugs that would scurry 
was, I was like, you can just keep that kitchen. <laughs> like, I don't even need that part of the whole house. And he was, you know, saying, hey, like these bugs, you know, these, these places are old and the sewers are old and the bugs come up through the sewers. Um, and we have this interesting conversation that I'll never forget where he had spent a lot of time in, in the States. And he was like, you know, you guys don't even have bugs anymore. But, but what's that about, right? Because anywhere there's life, there's bugs. And I remember that, I, I kept in that moment, I was like, if that's true, bugs are life. Bugs are a sign of life. Anywhere there is life, anywhere there is food, there should be bugs. So what does it mean that we've created a, an atmosphere, a physical atmosphere? What have we done? How, how heavily have we irradiated the hell out of our earth when the bugs don't come anymore? And so I remember thinking that, that it was very likely that for me to end up in a place where I felt like there was a lot of life, there would probably be some bugs <laughs> involved, right? It actually reminded me a lot of listening to Abraham Hicks and how she talks about food, you know, and, and all of this, the neuroses that we have in our culture around food and what's right to food to eat and what's not right food to eat and what's healthy and what's not. And can you eat potato chips and blah, 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 and what'll happen to you if you eat these foods? And, you know, she says when she taps into universal intelligence, she's kind of what comes through is the foods that are ideal foods for you to eat are all foods that rot kind of fast <laughs> because they don't have preservatives because food that has life in it rots. And when we cause that when we treat or process or preserve that food so as not to rot, we're literally sucking the life out of it. It's devoid of life. It's devoid of the cellular intelligence that comes along with life. So in the, early in the move, I had a little, some bug, some buggy animal messengers, <laughs> had plenty of them actually. And then late in the move, when I was sitting in my bedroom in Oakland, listening to the moving guys, like packing up my couch and stuff in the living room, um, there was this moth that sort of began to just hang around me, a white moth. And I kind of knew that moths tended to symbolize death for many in many ancient cultures and that moth I mean I went to bed that night and the moth was on my it hung on my lampshade I woke up that morning and the moth literally like flew across my lips brushed across my lips so I sort of opened some of my books and yes, I saw that the moth symbolized death. That, that moths appear when we're on the edge of life-changing moments. Significant transformation. Spiritual growth. Personal growth. 
vulnerability, shadows, symbolic death at a time when I was literally putting to bed, putting to rest, ending symbolically was dying the life that I'd been living for many decades, the life that my, in some ways, the life that my family had been living for many generations since my grandmother brought my family to California in the 60s. And the moth also symbolizes the search for light. So I thought as this moth flew across my lips, the story I've been living as good as it's been, is dying. It's dying a sacred death. It's dying the sacred death that has to happen for new things to be reborn. And these symbolic and sacred deaths sometimes need some time to be grieved too. That's a word for somebody. If you're coming into a new season of your own of you designing your own life, you creating your own new reality. There's some stuff that can't come with you. There's some stuff that has to die so the new can be reborn. And you might need to give that death some grief, some space, give yourself some grace. I was talking with Keisha about some of the you know days in which during the move, I would feel really just, oh, you know, knowing this was just a moment, knowing I was really out of, you know, uh, dysregulated because of the time zones and the physicality of the move and the physicality of moving London and all of these things, knowing, you know, I had been working too much, not sleeping enough, whatever it was. So like giving myself grace around that and her also saying, yes, but you know, look at what you're expecting of yourself in this time. And maybe there's some of these expectations. Maybe you're, expect- maybe you're expecting too much. To me, I heard some of these expectations and the way I put expectations on myself as a pattern in my life, that's something that needs to die. And so I'm going to like grieve and mourn that old stu- superhuman story. <laughs> That old, superheroic, superhuman, do all the things all the time story. So that this beautiful new story of, yes, powerful creatrix, right? Yes, creator of an empire. Yes, matriarch of this thriving dancing family. But also, yes, like liver and lover of life. Uh, partaker in rest. <laughs> right? Um, dweller in space and grace and joy. That's what's wanting to be born. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know I'm here for it. And I know the old way. I know I can't keep participating in the old way of piling expectations on top of expectations of myself or of others that has to die right? Next time we talk, I'll talk to you some more about some of the other things that have had to die or are dying now. Um, some of the things that we we hold on to that you got to just let go of. But I'll tell you this, when I got to Portugal, 
the first night I was in this house. Oh, it was so quiet. It is so quiet here. And I've desired quiet for so long that I was just lying in my bed that first night. Actually lying with London because I was sleeping with her. Listening to the nothing, listening to the silence, listening to the crickets, right? Um, and then I heard of like a little bang and a crash in the house. And I thought, huh, I wonder what that is. And it was interesting that it wasn't scary. It just was like, this is intriguing. <laughs> so I came downstairs and there was this little white cat with a little like, I don't know, dark spot right in the middle of her forehead. And she was walking around in my kitchen, (laughs) walked into the living room. I just looked at her. I had a bunch of the doors and windows open because I was airing it out. We live at the beach and it had gotten pretty humid inside. So I said, uh, you know better than that. I literally looked at the cat and said, you know better than that. And the cat turned around and walked away. It was hilarious. But then the next day, maybe two or three days later, I came downstairs and there was another cat in my living room, another white cat, actually. This one was stripy. It was like white and kind of beige. Um, And this one didn't go as easily. (laughs) So I was like, wow, this is really, you know, this is not like being outside in the park and having there be animals there when you come downstairs to your kitchen and there's like a cat sitting there you come downstairs to your living room there there's a cat sitting there you really might want to pick up on whatever message the universe is is trying to put down right so I'm like okay god all right source like I get it let me look this up white cats symbolize happiness virtue and good fortune I was like I received this White cats offer a clean slate, a bare canvas to create whatever we desire. Interesting, right? Uh, I, I ended up in this reading of Carl Jung transcripts from when he was teaching a seminar on children's dreams. And he said white animals often live in the night So they symbolize the unconscious. They symbolize source coming out of the womb of the earth. To say to you, spirituality, spirituality is present. Spirit is here. Huh. So I thought, huh, I don't just want to know about like what cats mean. I want to know and and. I don't just, I'm very intrigued by this, but I don't just want to know about what white cats mean even. I want to know about what it means when the cat actually comes to you, (laughs) like is in your house. So I poked around and I found something that's, you know, it's very of the TikTok era, but it's, you know, also maybe got a little something to it. So there's the guy on TikTok called Hermes the Cynic. And... He says there is a universal cat distribution system, (laughs) all right, that once you have a cat, a couple more will come your way. The cats don't, you don't as an owner or a pet parent choose a cat, that the cats choose you. That's actually how it happens. If you're compassionate, 
A stray cat will find you and adopt you. If you need companionship, the cat, the universe will send a cat to you. Um, this is the universal cat distribution system. I think it's been very much at work um, here in my home, although I'm really trying not to um, actually end up with a cat. <laughs> Um, but then I was also reading the notes of Marie-Louise von Franz, who was Carl Jung's student, who wrote very prolifically and beautifully on symbology and archetypes. And she wrote that cats originated in Egypt, so all cats are ultimately of Egyptian descent. There were no cats before Egypt. In Egypt, it was a sacred animal, and it still is consi- to be considered beneficent, Right? Cats have been in many cultures, in many countries, over time, considered uh, beneficial living partners because they, you know, eradicate rodents. Um, And that was, and that probably always has been the case. And so in Egypt, over time, let's see, in Egypt, in the beginning... In the beginning, the cat was considered to be a sacred sort of companion to Isis. But the daughter of Isis and Osiris became the great cat goddess Bastet. And she was really seen as, and all cats, she was seen as the goddess of fertility. She was seen as the goddess of love, right? She was seen as a healer, as sort of a a nurse, um, she was seen as the liberator. Cats were seen as liberators, as helpers. Um, they were seen as possessing foresight and insight. All right. Um, they were seen as very musical and positive. All right. And they were seen as tough survivors because they always they can fall from high places and land on their feet they survive crazy accidents often totally unharmed and they're independent right uh they they want to come in when they want to come in (laughs) they want to get out when they want to get out um so i thought you know this was such a perfect story to tell you about these cats that have kind of been asserting themselves into my world since i've been here because they are just one way yeah listen you don't have to believe in spirit animals or animal messengers but we as humans make meaning it is what we do and so animal messengers can simply be one beautiful kind of joyful and playful way that that source spirit all that is sends you what you need including messages guidance Right now, the reason, and I want to point out that sometimes that can feel really uncomfortable to those of us, especially who have been raised in America, because America does have this conditioning that is so sterile that tries to sort of eradicate all animal life except the ones that we deem okay. Like maybe you can have a dog and a cat, maybe you get a guinea pig (laughs) at the outside. 
but like bugs are seen as awful and animal, you know, people are afraid of animals, um, in the States. It's just a thing. And so sometimes even those animal messengers can feel really uncomfortable or scary because they run counter to your conditioning that a sterile animal free life is the one to live. All right. So I invite you to have a, to take a different point of view that actually maybe when these animal messengers show up, they're saying all is well with you. Maybe they're just reminding you that assistance is everywhere all around you. What if you just decided to see these animals when they show up, you know, to look them up and see what the ancients thought about them? But what's the harm in seeing the cat that shows up in your living room as a universal distribution of the message that you are loved? Right? And then as you dig deeper into the symbolic interpretations that various groups have had for your that specific animal over time, maybe you'll find some meaning or some direction. Maybe you'll find an answer to a question you've been asking. Right? So don't don't be don't don't let your inner critic or your critical um, conditioning stop you from getting what you came for. All right? And in that way, I will I would like to to draw a parallel between the animals that show up and are trying to get, send you messages and your human design strategy. Because human design and understanding your strategy, understanding what it is, how how what your personal rule is, decision rule is for discerning among all the opportunities and possibilities you could live out in the world, which ones you should move forward on if you want to get results that you love. Human design strategy is also about lining up to all of the universal assistance, getting all of the assistance with discernment, with direction, with right timing, being able to see and understand which universal green lights are yours and are available to you. And human design strategy is about knowing exactly how to get the guidance that you need all the time in a personalized way. In a personalized way. So when I first came here to Portugal to look for homes, I ended up with two really, really different alternatives before me. I was looking at a house in a town called Pared, which is a really like chic city beach town. It's very near Cascais, which is where some of the James Bond films were fil- uh, were filmed there in their casino, very near Lisbon. And then I was looking at the town I ended up in, Aroaidra, which is about the same distance from Lisbon, but in the total opposite direction, geographically and spiritually. Like it's nearly rural out here, Um, not a city beach. I don't hear a car all night, all right? And at the time I was moving out here, I was really leaning into surrender 
to my strategy. I'd gotten very clear on what I desired. I wanted quiet. I wanted beach. I wanted near the city. But on this side of the bridge, you know, there are many million, multi-million dollar homes on dirt roads. You know, there's, uh, there are some restaurants and, you know, you can get to some shops and stuff, but it's not full of walkable chic boutiques and, you know, it's not open DoorDash and get a thousand restaurants who can bring you dinner every night. So when I first came here, I was actually leaning towards signing the lease in Pared, um, where there's like, there's a lot of stuff for the kids to do. There's like a lot of, a bunch of schools. There are a couple out here, but there's a bunch of, there's just a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of expats who live over there. There are a bunch of black American expats who live over there. And I thought, oh, this is really comfortable. I can kind of slot in. You know, this house is almost what we want. It doesn't have the big yard we wanted. But it has a pool. Maybe that could work. And I, as I drove around in this town that I ended up in, I was like, hmm, it just feels a little untethering. You know, there's like dirt roads out here. And I've noticed there's so many things that in the United States we associate with um, poor or high crime areas that are just not, those associations do not hold in other places, all right? They don't hold in Mexico, they don't hold here. Um, So as, but every Portuguese person I talked to, like native Portuguese person I talked to was like, if you want quiet, you have to be on that side of the bridge. That's just what it is. Um, And so as I would drive around here, I would think, you know, it's really untethering to get what you really want at first. If you've been telling yourself the story, even deep down in your spirit, unconsciously as hell. Um, if you've been telling yourself the story that it's maybe not possible, then it's really untethering when you start to see it and you start to, it doesn't feel like home because you've never experienced this before. It feels like, you know, kind of like a fancy Pueblo out here, but I'm like, it's a little disorienting and untethering to be in what feels like the country. Um even though it literally has what I was, was pine forest next to the beach, right? Like house seven minutes from the sea, big flat grass yard for London to play on swing set, big old pool, you know, all the rooms so we can have all the guests that we wanted to have. So as I was looking at these houses and starting to realize that maybe what was untethering was actually approaching, getting what I really wanted, <laughs> Um, I decided, hey, wait a second. This is not, you're not supposed to be doing pros and cons and pluses and minuses. You have a decision-making strategy to follow. Your strategy is to master systems, project mastery, and wait for invitations from people who see your value and people who, in some ways, want to help. So that's what I did. That's how I ended up in the house that I ended up in. When I was out here, I was getting all kinds of invitations for help. When I was touring this house, you know, the landlord in a 30 minute period of 
getting to know her went from who is this woman and where is her husband (laughs) to I really, really hope you want to live here. The invitations were warm and they continue to be. So this is how I chose this place. Um, And even since I've been out here, you know, I came out and I told myself when I moved here, I'm going to be here for a year and see how it goes on this side of the bridge. During that year, I'm also going to explore a bunch of other places that have been on my list that I couldn't easily explore when I was going back and forth between Europe and the United States. Um, And that felt like the responsible thing to do, right? Like before you buy a house, before you really get roots set down, because London is so tribal and relational, relationally oriented. She is so tribal in her human design energies, and she is so relationally oriented that I've been like, oh, maybe we should, you know, really just explore and experiment for a year before we put down roots. Um, But I was sharing with someone recently that that's how I was thinking about this move. And I was sharing with someone recently, that same person, um, what my human design strategy was and how I think about it. You know, it's not just wait for the invitation. It's master systems, put mastery into the world, you know, stay rested up, stay out of burnout, stay connected with and understanding what my own value is and wait for people who can communicate that they, you know, value me or something about me to offer invitations and then use, you know, all of my other decision-making and my, including my spleen to make my final decisions. And this woman I was talking to was very brilliant coach of her in her own right said to me, Oh, that's, I do. That's how I make decisions too. That's so funny because we have such different, you know, we're, we're different types in human design, but I make decisions just like that. It's just the, you know, it's just like the reasonable way to make decisions. And it was so helpful for her to say that because instantly for me, I said, right, you may be making decisions that same way, but that's not correct for you. That's not correct strategy for you. So that reminded me to remind myself (laughs) and to remind you that your human design strategy is not the same thing as saying, here's a, a responsible way to make decisions, okay? It's not the same thing as saying, um, here's a logical way to make decisions or here's a mature way to make decisions. That's not what human design says. Human design says, if you follow this per- strategy partic- that is particularly right for you based on your energies, you will set yourself up to get results that you love. These, the decisions that you make in this way, the opportunities that you move forward on because you discerned them through the, your strategy are, will work out for you. Whether they are reasonable or logical ways to make decisions or not. All right. So we don't do our strategies. We don't lean into our strategies to try to be righteous or to try to be reasonable or to try to be logical 
or to try to be mature or even to try to be intuitive or any of these things that we think are spiritually desirable. We follow our human design strategy to line up with and receive the universal intelligence that is trying to assist us, is trying to direct us to make decisions that get results that we will love to create a life that's congruent with and allows and accommodates and expresses who we really are to make you know to make, it is assistance that is trying to line us up with our destiny for greatness and genius and wholeness and joy right it's not just making good decisions because i don't know if you're anything like me but i've made a lot of reasonable well logiced out plus and minus pros and cons analyzed decisions that did not freaking work out for me because they were not aligned to my design right and i've made other decisions that seemed totally batshit crazy that did work out for me really well because they were aligned with my design and because I was following my strategy, even though I didn't know I was doing it at the time. I was following my splenic authorities, hard pass, nope, don't do it, even though I didn't real even though that seemed in nuts at the time. Right? When I turned that three million dollar investment for Soul Tour down at the before I even had started the company. I was offered $3 million in venture capital and I could not even override my own inner breaks. It was like hard pass. That didn't make any sense logically, but it turned out to make sense over time. Had I taken that money, I'd be answering to VCs now or Soul Tour wouldn't even be a thing anymore because when I got sick and needed to dial back work, they would have probably required me to either sell it or shut it down right um so most when i ref, when i first learned my strategy when i first learned my human design when i first learned about human design when i first learned my strategy you know the human design gurus all say you got to just take a year and experiment with your strategy just with trusting it and surrendering to it and see how your life goes. And I'm like, yeah, you should do that. But even way before that, you don't have to surrender to your strategy to test it out. When you learn what your strategy is, you reflect on your life up to that moment. And you should be able to see that the things that have worked out really well for you in this life were times when you were following your strategy even before you knew it was your strategy. And that should embolden you, should encourage you, inject heart and courage into you to follow your strategy moving forward, not to do what seems reasonable, not to follow your gut <laughs> in the love and light brigades kind of way. You know, if you have sacral authority you should get a yes, no, got to ask yourself some yes, no questions and get a hit. And that's going to be right for you. That's going to not, that's, that is going to be correct for you. And by correct, I mean, it's going to put you on the path to making decisions that work out in ways you love. All right. If you are a 
you know, if you are a generator, you're going to generate all kinds of ideas and opportunities more than you could ever do in this lifetime. So your strategy is to wait to respond to signs and signals and synchronicities and suggestions. And those little signs, signals, synchronicities and suggestions are a universe. It's like a trail of breadcrumbs of universal green lights showing you which things to prioritize small things and big things all right if you're a manifester you mostly want to wait for that click of inner alignment all right you want to wait for a click of inner alignment and you also want to give yourself enough time before you start taking action on any of the amazing ideas that you are here to initiate, get started in the world. You want to take the time to inform the people around you of what you're doing. Now, sometimes you're informing them so that um, they'll stay the hell out of your way. (laughs) And not be like, what are you doing? Slow down, stop, we can't keep up. And sometimes you're informing them because some of them are put here to help you take those projects over the finish line. Because you're not supposed to be finishing all of the, you're not supposed to be finishing most projects as a manifester. You came here to initiate. All right. And then if you are a reflector, you just got to give yourself time. You need a month to make the big decisions in your life you need it it's going to take you a good month and you basically want across that month you want to see that the energy that you enthusiasm and excitement that you have for the project or the idea stays high through the month if it's low throughout the month or if it's varied high and low throughout the month it will be low or it will be varied throughout the course of you seeking to you know, create the new reality that was the idea you had or the opportunity that has come to you. So for you, you just need time and you need sounding boards. You need peeps, you need a steady group of people in your life over the long term who you can just bounce things off of, who won't feel like they got to give you advice or tell you yes or no. You're not looking for advice or permission. You're just looking to talk things out with somebody else in the room. All right. So, oh, and I guess I should say, if you are a manifesting generator, you are waiting to do both of the things, both of the strategies for manifestors and for generators. So you will want to wait to inform people around you before you move forward on a project. You want to wait for a click of inner alignment, that like inner yes. And you'll also want to wait for signs and signals and synchronicities and suggestions You can even sometimes wait, uh, choose your, prioritize your projects and your ideas that you're going to move forward on by responding to things that actually get you worked up, things that make your, you know, make you roll your eyes or make you irritated or angry or, you know, things that feel like that strong spiritual assignment that is yours to move, to, to address or fix. All right. So, so that's actually strategy. So when I have this woman who's a generator saying, oh, I make decisions just like that by waiting for invitations, I'm like, well, girl, that just ain't right for you. 
right? It's not supposed to be about what the reasonable thing is for you. It's not supposed to be about what the logical decision-making strategy your brain has come up with over the years. If you're getting good results doing some decision-making strategy that is not your human design strategy, you'll get great results when you start actually surrendering to your own personal human design strategy. And often it will run different to what you've been taught or come to believe is the way you should make decisions over your lifetime. Like I sent some, someone sent me the other day, I was like, oh, you should go out to this little beach town called Edisthida. You'll love it. And I went out there and I did. It's beautiful. And she says, oh, well, I was thinking you might, you might get there and really just enjoy the vibe so much that you might see it as one of the places on your list to live. And I said, oh, that's not how I'm deciding where I'm going to live. <laughs> I am not deciding. I'm not just looking for a place that like really looks really beautiful and feels good. It needs to be that at table stakes, right? Um, I'm look, I, I know I have table stakes clarity on what I have to be in a place that's supernaturally quiet. Um, I have to be in a place that's relatively near, you know, a good school for London. We want to be on the beach. We, you know, want to live in the farm by the beach. That's the whole point of the stream by the city. So there's some like basic stuff, but mostly I am discerning between places like that based on my strategy, based on my strategy and based on where I know I can, you know, my checklist of items was based on my sacred contracts. Like I have this vision that London's going to be able to be this unrepressed child, that she's going to be able to get her inner, her generator energies out and her genius, her giftedness and her autism traits all addressed with this life of horseback riding and surfing and being in the ocean and farm and animals and all of that. And I'm going to be able to fulfill my contract, my sacred contracts in a place that's slower with fewer people. So my signal can run clearer so I can write and create more prolifically. And I need to be near a place where I can gather people around, right? Where I can start the, the church, the not the unchurched church <laughs> where I can run, you know, upgrade as an event once a year here, where I can really get into this cave where there are so many gifted creators around that I can build a team and, you know, ultimately work um, three days a week is the vision, right? So I need, I am not just looking for the checklist of things. I am looking to follow my strategy so that I might end up in a place where I can fulfill my sacred contracts and where I get the results that I desire. And what's interesting is, I don't know if you'll remember, but Farm by the Beach was a download that came to me in a meditation. It was a golden thread of inspiration that came to me in a meditation. Farm by the Beach, those words. So it's hilarious that the subdivision I live in is called the Erdad de Arawaira, the farm of Arawaira. <laughs> like it is not a farm, it, but it used to be. And so it's still called the farm. So what's amazing is that when you're following your strategy, your decisions actually work out better for you than if you were following your logic. 
because your logic picks up stories, picks up trauma, picks up fear, picks up scarcity, picks up unworthiness if that's your thing. You know, whatever your shadows are, stories, the stories we tell will tend to have them in them. And will, they will tend to hook onto logic. They will tend to masquerade. Here's another way of saying that. Your inner critic often masquerades. Your inner critic personified voice of fear often masquerades as logic or as the reasonable thing. All right? Um, as the, can I get this even better? It might logic, it might masquerade as perfectionism. All right. So I've been thinking about this a lot because as I've been on telling this story that we're going to be here for a year and in the year I'm going to experiment with other places and see if I can really live some places slow or if I need to move back to the city, you know, um, I've noticed that in that story, there's a lot of energy about perfecting, right? Trying to perfect in some ways, trying to be humble, trying to not be presumptuous, trying to not, you know, assume I might have nailed it out the, out the gate, <laughs> trying not to settle too soon, right? But all of that logic tend, lends itself to storytelling, lends itself to inner critic, right? Like, uh, London's got this is enrolled in the school St. Peter's and you get really mixed reviews on this school it's one of the top schools in the country but some people say it's very rigid and very academic and some people say gosh it's very like very good for like kids who are a little bit off the grid um, and you know so I just was like I'm just gonna put London's body in the place of it and we'll see how it goes and if you've seen that photo I shared, you know, I lost her there on the campus for a minute. When I found her, she was like on the drum kit with the lollipop in her mouth, like rocking entirely out like she'd been playing drums for her entire life. Like, and her body is such a sensitive tuner to energy that I was like, ah, yeah, I'm telling myself the story that I should be homeschooling her and I need to do this thing and I need to make the figure it all out and da 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 what if this is actually it? What if this is great? What if she actually loves it here and it's easy because I followed my strategy to this school. I talked to a dozen schools and this one that everyone else says is so hard to get into, so hard, such a wait list, whatever. We never had a wait list. I sent an email. They sent an email right back. We talked the next day. They invited us to come to the school. It was da, 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 da. Every other school was six months, eight months process. This one was just like, just like that. I followed my strategy. So now what if I might just trust that it's all going to work out? <laughs> Same with the Erdad, this area I live in, the farm, <laughs> so to speak, which is actually kind of like a really bougie golf club with beautiful homes, um, you know, with 
two golf courses, with a tennis club, with a big community pool, even though we have a pool in the backyard. We have our own doctor and dentist and grocery store with organic section, which no other stores here seem to have. Um, couple restaurants in here and there's a whole entire little hotel where we can have upgrade one year in my little subdivision of a couple of you know maybe a hundred houses all right so you know I was like oh I'm just renting this house in the air dot it's not really my style to live in like this kind of a community blah 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 we're just here for a year while we figure out where we really end up so it's hilarious that my Portuguese friends when they come over they're like Girl, you look all you want for a year. Do you know this is where we all want to live? (laughs) Like if you're raised in Lisbon, like living at the Ardad is literally like what we want. Um, The landlord's realtor came by to just check on me and was like, oh, this is the place we all want to live. Some of my own realtor friends have been who are Portuguese. They're like, this is where I want to live when I grow up. Our swim teacher came out and she goes, how did you, did you know about the Aerodot? This is the best place to live. You've got the best neighborhood in Portugal. Uh, But my friend Alex came out and she said, this is like the cool king of Beverly Hills. And I said, I think you mean the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Alex. (laughs) You know, so like, what if I already found a uh, even as much as right now, I'm still declaring for the divine selection of school. The divine, I give thanks for the divine selection of school. I give thanks for the divine selection of home, home for us. But what if I already found the best shit because I was following my strategy so intensely when I got here? I was following the invitations. I was received. I was actually, I made an invitation. I invited a friend who I made last year when I was here visiting. Last year, I said, if we come, if we end up here, you should come visit us. She lives in Germany with her four-year-old and her three-month-old. So when she saw I was moving here, she invited herself. Hey, can I, is that invitation still good? Can me and the girls come out? I'm like, yeah. So a couple days after I arrived, I did the crazy thing of having house guests with two little kids for three weeks. But do you know that whole three weeks she was here, my friend was setting, saw how I was, how much I was working and she was setting me up with help. So this, I inviting her and she's also a projector. She invited me or she invited herself (laughs) really. Then she spent three weeks interviewing my nannies and hiring a nanny, interviewing a swim teacher hiring a swim teacher to come to the house, interviewing cleaners, finding house cleaners and interviewing them. You know, surf teacher, she literally did the work of helping me create the village that I need of support that I need. So I'm big on my strategy these days. I'm big on following the universal guidance and the green lights that are all around us. For me as a projector, these in following my strategy is is resulting in all this support, all this connection, um, all this help, all this joy, all this love, all this not feeling isolated, even though I live in a, you know, kind of in the boondocks and all this, I've seen so much. Invita- you know, 
I, I got to spend a couple hours last Thursday in Lisbon just having this leisurely lunch with these people who I'd met briefly in Silicon Valley who had also moved to Lisbon and saw me posting on social media and they invited me to come have lunch with them in Lisbon and it was a beautiful day of just connection and you know some familiarity um, in this beautiful slower you know way less stressful place Because my destiny is big, like yours is, because my sacred contracts are big and bigger than I can do alone, it's really important for me to follow my invitations. It's really important for you to follow and respond to the signs, the suggestions, the synchronicities, the signals of this universe. It's really important for you manifestors to follow your own, to make sure that you are informing others around you so they can help you right for you reflectors to have conversations with your sounding boards and give yourself time to see how your energy plays out over a month-long 28 29 day long emotional cycle before you make decisions and and then when you follow your strategy it's really important for you to breathe and trust and know that you actually followed the universal green lights. So even in those liminal moments, even when you're dysregulated, even when you don't know exactly how things are gonna work out, chances are good that shit is gonna really work out for you because your wise inner being already put you in the perfect place at the perfect time with the perfect people to get the results that you'll love to live the life that you were born to live, to build the empire you were born to build because you followed your strategy. Not because you followed the logic of listing out the pros and the cons, which honestly don't do shit, but create a bunch of inner conflict and mixed energy, all right? When you follow your strategy, you can trust that it works out. And then you can look for these cherry on top universal confirmations and validations and messages. And you can make meaning of the animal messengers that come to you with these beautiful little love drops, right? Like you can see the, you can channel your inner Egyptian and embrace the idea that they had, which is that any, every house cat is the house goddess. It's like a representation of the goddess that just like walks around your house. (laughs) It is a little walking or walks around your yard if you're me and you're actually not a cat person. You're actually really allergic, so you can't have them in the house. But you can choose to be blessed by these little walking around symbols of spirituality and development. When I was looking up what a white cat means, it said, if you see a white cat, It might be a sign that you're about to embark on a spiritual journey. It can be a physical journey, like a trip to a sacred site or a pilgrimage, or it can be an inner journey where you explore your own spirituality and learn more about your beliefs. But either way, the appearance of a white cat is a sign that you're about to learn more about yourself and the world around you. Well, I don't know how much closer to what was actually happening in my life the night that that white cat was in my kitchen. It couldn't have been any, you know, of course it was the day I was talking to you guys. It was the day I was using the world, the word pilgrimage. 
in episode one, right? Now, the reality is that we do things a little bit differently at our house. (laughs) Um, At the life house, I like to think of it as, at the soul tour house. So in our house, we make our own luck. And we make our own rules about luck. So in our house, black cats are lucky too. And just before we left, um, we, we had this beautiful moment with Lori White, who works at Soul Tour. Some of you guys know her. She's our sales guru. She teaches sales in empires. Um, she runs sales and, and uh, for us. Um, and she's also really an incredible and like supernaturally gifted possibility spotter and activator. So Lori knew that London, London, since she's two years old, has been obsessed with Frida Kahlo. And I just want to say, someone asked me recently, when did, how did that happen? How did she get on this fixation with Frida Kahlo? And I said, well, you know, when she was two, I took her to Frida Kahlo's house, Casa Azul in Mexico City. And we, you know, and I started to tell the story and they were like, that's amazing. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? That is amazing. That is amazing. I just wanted to pause and revel in that energy. Like, this is what this child's whole life has been. Has been, you know, us going, traveling the world, seeing beautiful things, understanding about beautiful creators and art and color. It's been a, it's been a vibe and I love it. And it's just getting started. But one of the things that London loves about Frida is that Frida had a bunch of animalitos. Frida couldn't have children. If you know her story, you know. And she surrounded herself with animals. So at her house, she had a bunch of those cholo dogs, the ancient Mexican breed of dogs that come from the, literally are descended from the Aztecs dogs and still look the same. They're black and hairless and all wrinkly. She had a bunch of cholo dogs. Um, She had a monkey. She had a deer. (laughs) She had like a baby deer. She had all kinds of parrot. She had all these animals and, you know, London calls them animalitos. And so just before we left, Lori was visiting us in Oakland and Lori brought us this book, Frida and her animalitos. And she also brought this bag full of little stuffies with one of each type of the animals that Frida had. And so in there, there is this little black cat and it's like the thing that London loves the most. And so I was reminded as I was thinking about this white cat, I was like, but you know what? The black cats have been good luck for us too. The black cats, when you think about those, um, if you guys know those little little Japanese, um, people think they're Chinese, but they're actually Japanese. They're called maneki neko. They're those little lucky cats that you'll see kind of on a cash register or in a shop. The idea is that they sort of create good fortune or bring prosperity into a store. They're kind of waving the customers into the shops. The oldest ones of those little maneki nekos were actually black before they were white. Um, And we, you know, the, again, the Egyptians thought every cat that was in your house was like actually the house goddess because Bastet, their cat goddess, was the Egyptian goddess of the home and domesticity and the mysteries of feminine women's secrets 
fertility, childbirth, all of those were represented by Bastet. So I was thinking about these little cats, the white cats and this little black cat who's sitting in front of me as I record this, <laughs> this little black uh, cat that Lori gave London, her favorite thing, um, sitting in front of me as I record this episode. And I was thinking about, I really like, I kept coming back around to the Japanese and I was reading about the Meneki Neko and how they came to be, be came to symbolize prosperity and good fortune. These little black, originally cats that kind of waved their little hands. And because my brain is a hyperlink brain, and because clicking on one thing opens another thing, it I was like Japanese. I was thinking cat is house goddess. So goddess, and then Japanese, these Minekinekos. And then I was like, ah, oh, you know what came to my the forefront of my brain was the story of another Japanese deity. And I'm going to leave you with this. Her name was Amaterasu. Um, and she's this story has been actually uh, important for me in this season. So Amaterasu was the sun goddess, the Japanese sun goddess. She was one of three children of the creator god. So the creator god had three kids. One was the sun goddess, one was the moon god, and one was the god of the storm and the sea. But Amaterasu just is described in so many beautiful ways in Japanese mythology. The great august goddess who augustly shines in heaven great spirit woman, heaven illuminating great deity. I mean, she was like a big deal. All right. The sun. Her brother Susanu was the the god of the storm and the seas. And he was a hot mess. He was literally kind of represented trauma. Okay. So there is a story where Susanu just goes on this freaking rampage. There's all this backstory to it. I won't even bother you with it. There's all this backstory. He gets pissed off and he goes on a rampage and he starts wreaking havoc, specifically directed toward Amaterasu, his sister. He killed her horse and like threw it into her uh, grand hall. He shit in her seat and she like literally sat in it and it was awful. So... There, there are versions of the story that said he did other terrible things to her. Long and the short is he was awful. He wreaked havoc directed at her and she experienced it as traumatic. So she hid. She closed herself up in a cave. But remember, she's the sun. So when she hid the entire world went dark. And all of the other deities, all of the other gods were like, this is a mess. (laughs) Literally, the world will die. So they kind of collaborated to figure out how they could get her to come out of the cave. And I don't know if this is resonating with any of you, but if you've ever experienced real trauma and and real trauma might have been a traumatic event 
or it might have been anything that made you feel like you were unlovable. That feeling of just like, I can't anymore, I'm hiding, (laughs) is real. And what I see and observe in so many of my clients and students and members is that y'all have been, many of y'all have been hiding your light for years. Maybe you grew up in a family where you were valued and, you know, lauded for your gifts, but also they were too much for that. Those other people told you they were too much, told you to tone it down. Maybe even to just never been in an environment where it felt safe or okay to be as magical and shine as bright as you came here to shine. And so you've gradually over a lifetime hidden yourself in a cave. And the reality is when you who have the destiny for greatness that you have, hide your light in a cave, literally the world around you darkens, dims, right? We don't just have the gifts that we have for us and for our own joy. We have them because they benefit everyone around us when we shine, all right? So just like with you, just like with Amaterasu, the higher powers and forces that be in the atmosphere are like collaborating scheming to try to see how they can get you to shine your light some more that's why you feel the call to build your empire over and over and over and over and over again it doesn't matter how many times you refuse the call you're going to keep feeling it because literally source spirit all that is all the higher forces and powers that be that run this universe love intelligence creative power will continue to beckon you and try to get you to come out of your cave, try to get you to stop hiding your light, try to get you to step into your power, try to get you to move through the world like the magical as fuck being that you actually are. All right, so all of the other gods were like, how are we gonna get her out of the cave? There's this one god, Uzume, and she was like, don't even trip, I got this. (laughs) So... She kind of started to throw a party. And so there was music, there was dancing, and then she put this huge mirror in front of the cave. And she put a huge, beautiful piece of jade. She hung a piece, like a chunk of jade on it. And then she came out to the party, Uzume, dancing, dancing, everybody's having a party, and she flashed everyone. She literally like opened her robe (laughs) and showed everyone her naked body. And I say this in part because it's part of the Japanese mythology. There are still, there's still an annual celebration where what happens is like women who are honoring the goddess Uzume, like flash people as part of this sacred rite and celebration and remembrance. So Uzume flashed everyone And everyone, it was like a cheer went up. Everyone laughed and just was having, everyone was having such a good time that when Uzume flashed everyone and everyone laughed, Amaterasu peeked out of the cave. She was like, what are they doing? She peeked out of the cave and she saw herself in the mirror. 
She saw, they say that the mirror in Japan is now part of their imperial regalia. It represents wisdom and truth. She looked out just through a slit and saw just a fraction of the wisdom and truth of who she really was. And when she poked her head out, all the other gods and goddesses grabbed her and they pulled her out and they locked the door behind her. They tied it shut so she could never hide again because literally no one else, the world would go dark if she ever hit again. So they could never let that happen. And I see this story as such a metaphor for the path and journey of experiencing trauma, hiding your light, and then like peeking out a little bit at first and then being pulled out irrevocably. See, see, peeking out, seeing your own little slither, sliver of your own genius and wisdom and truth and brightness and who you are. Just seeing a little bit of that all the divine powers that be beckoning you, like waiting, throwing a party, waiting for you to join and then pulling you out. You can't go back. (laughs) Once you've seen a sliver of who you really are and your light, you can't go back. So then the story wraps up that Amaterasu's descendants came down from the realm of the gods to rule Japan as the emperors. And that that's what the imperial family of Japan still now today is. The descendants of Amaterasu, the sun goddess, who was so traumatized she hid her own light, closed herself up, and had to be beckoned out with joy and play and actually like silliness and sexiness, right? And like then the, the all that is had to lock that door so she could never go back away. What she created with her light was empires who are mm, assigned to flow divine order and create for the benefit of all. All right? So this is, yes, yes, humans make meaning. Yes, this is what we do. Yes, these stories are stories, but they are powerful stories if you let them be. These stories and all of the messages that your animal messengers are delivering you if you choose to receive them. They are how you can stop believing in the lie stories, the human race lie stories, the lie stories of lack and delay. You can stop believing that it's going to take you 10 years or 20 years or 30 years to find, to get clear on what you really want or to create your new reality or to create your empire. You can come out of the cave now You can come out of the cave now. Everyone needs you to. Everybody ain't gonna act like they want you to, but that's not their job, (laughs) all right? Your job is the one you need to worry about. And your job is to see your own radiant luminosity. Peek your head out, 
see the mirror with the jade and know that you can never turn back because once you've seen it, once you see a glimpse, once you catch a tiny little glimpse of how beautiful your living spree will unfold once you're following your strategy straight into results that really work out for you, you can never unsee it. You can never unsee it. What you can do is just look for all those little animal essences and messengers and the messages that, you know, you can catch the messages that benefit you. You can catch them and maybe the messages sometimes are from your own little animals that live with you. Um, I am very reminded as I tell the story of Amaterasu, who is said to be the ancestress of the Japanese imperial family. I'm reminded too that the the Japanese imperial family were the original breeders who bred pugs. They bred them to be their companion animals and to warm their own bodies, to sit on their laps and warm them in the, in the cold palaces, which is how my own two pugs, <laughs> now dearly departed pugs, Aiko and Miko, um, came to have the regal demeanor that they have, right? So you can get messages anywhere that you want to get them. You can be benefited by them. You can be connected with universal love by them. Making meaning is what we humans do. Creating is also what we do. You are a powerful creator. I love you and I will see you soon for the next episode. We're going to talk about holding on coming up here. We're going to talk about some of the uh, tactical decisions I've been making and facing with respect to homes and schools. We're going to talk about deconditioning from the American trauma brain, and we're going to talk about becoming the goddess, okay? We're not just activating goddess mode anymore. We are becoming the goddess. All right, I love you, and I'll see you soon. This has been the Soul Tour Podcast featuring yours truly, the metaphysician and master money business and breakthrough coach, Tara Nicole Kirk. My sacred contract is to help you build the empire of your soul so that you can live the life that you were born to live. Soul Tour is a fully integrated self-mastery and business transformation firm. We're also an electric community of ambitious spiritual maximalists. We are the breeding ground for the next generation of highly profitable, highly aligned transformational business empires. So if you experienced a moment of spiritual clarity or you had a strategic business breakthrough during this episode, I would love to have you in our world. Like and share and subscribe and review this podcast or any of my books. I invite you to sign up for my free Transformation Tuesday newsletter at soultour.com slash subscribe. At Soul Tour, I have two flagship programs and which one is for you depends on whether you're more focused right now on creating mastery in your business or mastery in your life. So if you would like to build the business empire of your soul with my help, book a free breakthrough coaching session with Team Tara at soultour.com slash breakthrough call. If you'd like to join me on a path to life mastery, go to soultour.com slash 
LSM for Life Self Money Dash Enroll. And if you're just wanting to dip your toe into my world, <laughs> if you're just wanting to catch a little bit of the vibe of what's involved in the kind of life where you start making big money just for being yourself, then check out my new book. It's called Align to Millions. And the only place you can get it is at soultour.com slash align to millions. I love you. You are a powerful creator. Keep your head up and your heart 